Welcome to Gruesome, your horrific true crime podcast. I am Meg, and Connie with the good hair is going to tell us about the murder of Dorothy Donovan. Connie with the ratchet hair right now. I haven't had my hair done in like 14 weeks. Is that like a, a legitimate amount of weeks or is that an exaggerated amount of weeks? Oh, I had to figure it out because uh, my girl got sick this week. So I was like trying to figure out how long it's been because I was like, dude, do we think we're going to be able to get me in before Thanksgiving? Because my roots are like <laughs> grown out to my ear and I'm looking a little crazy. <laughs> you got to get cute okay. before the holidays. Yeah, I'm going. Yeah, can't be that person. But tonight, we are going to take your emotions through it, because it's another twisty, turny one. Going back to Gruesome's roots with a case like this. Okay, can't wait. Let's hear it. Around 12.30 a.m. on June 23rd, 1991, Charles Holden had ended his shift at a local factory. Charles often worked long hours, and this night was no different. On his way home, he decided to stop by the local Hardee's, get something to eat. He walked in, ordered a hamburger and a coffee, and walked out. As Charles was crossing the parking lot, he noticed a man standing at the driver's side window of his truck. The man asked him, Hey man, I'm in a big time bind. My sister just had a baby at Milford Memorial Hospital, and I have no way to get there. At first, Charles was like, Sorry man, I can't help you. But... A couple, he was like, actually, you know what? Go ahead and get in, but I can't take you very far because he lived nearby. Harrington, Delaware is a small community. And in 1991, it only had a population of about 2,400 residents. Charles assumed that he had nothing to worry about because, again, Harrington was a sm very safe, small town. The pair drove down the road about three miles. And when Charles got to Killen Pond Road, and it's the road he would usually take to like turn on since he only lived about a half a mile down that road. He pulled over and told the man, hey, look, this is as far as I can take you. But the man got angry. Charles pointed to a nearby phone booth and told him, man, I'm sorry, but you can call someone at that phone booth. I told you I couldn't take you very far. The man then attacked Charles, demanding money, demanding the truck. He picked up a screwdriver and tried to further his attack. Charles was able to grab his keys and jump out of the truck. The man jumped in the driver's side or driver's seat and tried to take off. But remember, Charles had grabbed the keys. Mm -hmm. So the man exited the truck to chase after him with that screwdriver in hand. He kept screaming, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to kill you. Charles ran to a nearby business and banged on the windows. But it's 1230 in the morning. No one was there. The man continued to demand the truck from Charles, and finally Charles is like, okay, get in. I'll take you anywhere that you want to go. He's like, geez. Because he was Finally scared, had right? had enough, yeah. He's like, okay, man, whatever. Like, let's do this. You win. <laughs> Charles then described how he knew that he had to act fast. He knew that he only had a little bit of time to get out of this situation. As the pair headed back to the truck, Charles jumped in and took off before the man could get in, leaving him chasing the car. Charles, who was understandably shook up, drove in the opposite direction of his house and drove around for a few so that the man wouldn't follow him. He drove around for several minutes, and when he didn't see the man anywhere, he went home. He just, like, kept looping around town, and then he didn't see the man anymore, and he's like, all right, 
Well, he's also on clear. foot, and he was in I'm a car, safe. right? So he's probably not going to be able to keep up with him too easy, I think. That's what my exactly, brain says. Exactly. That's what my brain said, too. I was like, but he dropped him off at the intersection, like, right where he was, like, right Turning. down the road from his house. So he's like, I don't want this man knowing where I live, which same. To Charles' shock and horror, when he pulled into his driveway, he saw that very same man standing in Charles's yard looking through his trailer's window. What? How did he know where he lives? I don't know, man. We're going to get to it. Okay. (laughs) And Charles is like, look, this man had a screwdriver. He was already batshit crazy. I don't want to deal with this. So he left and drove back to that Hardee's where he first encountered the man where the payphone was and called the police. The police classified this as a low priority case. And from my understanding, the town itself did not have its own like local police officers because the Delaware State Police are who handle like this entire investigation. And they are kind of like they're who comes when he called the police. Okay. The phone call went to the police, went out to the police at 119. Around 3 a.m., Corporal Myrna William Kenny of the Delaware State Police arrived at the Hardee's and met with Charles. He explained to him, explained to her the events of the night and explained how after all of that, like everything that happened, and he had like cuts on his face, like because this man had attacked him in the truck, that the man was on his property when he got home. Charles also began to express concern to the officer that he could not reach his mom, whom he had tried to call several times while he was waiting there because her house was less than 100 feet from his, and he was worried because she wasn't answering the phone. Officer Uh Kinney arrived with Charles back on the property, and upon checking, the front and back doors were still locked. There was nothing out of place, nothing damaged on the outside, And so Charles was like, can we please go to my mom's house to check things out? Because I can't get a hold of her. What time was this They walked across the... This is like 3 a.m. Okay, that's what I was wondering. I was like, she could be asleep, I hope. They walked... Well, he had been trying to call her from that Hardy's parking lot. Mm -hmm. And she always waited up for him to get home. Okay. So she would have answered the phone if he was calling. So he's like, yeah. They walked across the yard to the backyard when they noticed the back door's window had been broken. But Officer Kinney noted that the hole was really small, and she didn't think that even she would be able to get her hand through it. When they entered the house, Charles started calling out for his mom, but there was no answer. He said that, again, this was strange because she usually stayed up until he got home. Heading upstairs, Charles and Officer Kinney stumbled upon a horrific scene. Charles discovered the body of his mom, Dorothy May Donovan. She had been savagely stabbed two dozen times in the face, arms, and chest. It was frenzied. There was blood everywhere in that room. But outside of the murder, nothing seemed amiss. Her purse wasn't touched. There didn't appear to be any sexual assault. Nothing appeared to be missing. And upon further investigation, the investigators put Dorothy's death at around 1 a.m. Hmm. That's a little later than even that guy was around. I feel like, yeah, I feel like I'm on to what's happening, but I would like you to continue because I'm definitely interested. Dorothy May Donovan was born on May 18th, 1921 
in Burrsville, Maryland. She was the second daughter of John and Ethel Bonnie. She was married to Wallace Holden until his death in 1968. And together, the couple had three children, Charles, Brenda, and Diana. After her husband died, Dorothy found love again with a man named Ralph Donovan. And a few years later, they moved into a farmhouse on 163 acres in Harrington, Delaware. The kids spent their childhood there. They loved their parents. Unfortunately, Dorothy became a widow for the second time in 1987, but she stayed in that home that her and Ralph shared, and her son Charles moved into a trailer on the property. The family was very close-knit. They spent lots of time together. She was known to call her kids in the morning to tell them good morning and at night to tell them good night. They were like her best friends. She was described as a loving, energetic woman who loved gardening, canning vegetables, canning, I said that weird, canning vegetables, babysitting her grandchildren, and going to church. Wholesome old lady activities. The investigation, mm-hmm. the investigation began with the big question of who would hurt Dorothy Holden. She had no known enemies, and people genuinely really seemed to like her and enjoy her company. And who do we think the first suspect was? Her son or the guy right. that that uh, he was like, no, there's a guy. He followed me. I picked him up at the Hardee's. It just seems sketch to me. It does seem sketch. You're, you're right. Because the story that he had concocted wasn't making sense to anyone, not even his sisters. It was hard for them to believe that he had picked up the man, taken him a couple of miles, dropped him off, and then somehow he showed up at Dorothy's house and killed her. Despite uh-huh. never have met, like, never have, like, met her and Charles before. Yeah. They discovered that Dorothy had taken out a life insurance policy re- recently. And who do we think was the beneficiary? The son, Charles. Mm-hmm. Yep. They also discovered that Charles was having some money problems. These are all telltale and, signs of I might murder my mom. Well, and they brought him in. And remember, this is 1991. So the faith that was put in polygraph test was way higher than like what we put into it now. And in 2023, you know, if you're asked to take one, you never fucking take you a polygraph. You say no. You're like, uh-uh, not me. But when the police were like, hey, would you like to take a polygraph test? He was like, nope, I sure would not. <laughs> yeah, I don't doubt that at all, Charles. I wonder why. Police officers straight up doubted that this guy that Charles described even existed. They thought he went home, killed his mom, and he was going to reap the benefits of that insurance policy. Detective Gregory Knoll of the Delaware State Police said they went back and started to interview people who were out on the town when Charles was attacked. And what they learned had them shook. There was a man who got into Charles' truck. Several people inside and outside the restaurant said that he had asked them for a ride. Some of them also saw him getting into Charles' truck. One witness told police that they had seen the man chasing Charles at the intersection. Witnesses reported seeing him walking near Charles and Dorothy's house. One witness said that he even knocked on the door of their home before he made his way to Dorothy's. Other evidence also confirmed Charles' story. He had injuries to his face, consistent with having been in a scuffle with this man. He had burns on his wrist from the hot coffee that spilled on him during the fight. Upon investigation of the crime scene, 
a bloody palm print was captured on the banister. Two sources of DNA, including blood left on the banister and the light switch, were tested, and neither one of them belonged to Charles. What? The palm print. The palm print. Dorothy's killer is described as a black male in his late 20s or early 30s. He's 5'8 or 5'9, 150 pounds, slender build. He wore dress pants, a brown plaid shirt, and dark, large, plastic-framed glasses with oversized lenses. A man named Rich Mitchell was picked out of a photo lineup from Charles, but when they brought this man in, despite him having, like, a rap sheet prior of burglary, assault, etc., etc., the man came in with a full beard, and the suspect in, like, the sketch that they had drawn was clean-shaven. So they're like, all right, you're not... We know it's been like a little bit, but it's not enough time for you to have grown this like you full grow voluptuous a beard. beard. <laughs> a full voluptuous beard. They... <laughs> a beautiful beard. Add that to the fact that the bloody palm print and DNA didn't match. He was quickly ruled out. So another idea started floating around that maybe Charles had hired someone to kill his mom. Oh, and yeah. that I hadn't stayed... even thought about that. And that stayed the general consensus. What is really spooky is two days before Dorothy's murder, she told her daughter Brenda that she had been hearing noises in her house. She told her daughter that, quote, I'm afraid something strange is going on here. Something strange is going to happen here and something bad is going to happen to me. Uh, The night she was murdered. And also, uh, she heard, uh, I hate when they're like living in their house. It freaks me out too. We did that one. And I think about it now when I start hearing noises, Mm -hmm. I'm just like, someone's living in my drop ceiling. I know they're up there. It would be like a scene from a movie and they just fall down. Yeah, I know. It's not like anybody, like a drop ceiling couldn't support one person's weight if you were on it. But like when I hear like outside, like a tree brush up against my window, I'm like, that's definitely someone living in the drop ceiling. That would be like a comedy, though. They Someone's just... in my walls, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> they'd get oh, up there and they'd be like, what the fuck is this, a drop ceiling? <laughs> <laughs> Who has a drop ceiling and it's not an office space? <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> Me, I do, and I'm not a fan, let me tell you. Go on, I'm sorry for interrupting you. I'm sorry for the digression as well. <laughs> uh, the night Dorothy was murdered, she was supposed to have her grandson stay the night with her, but she was not feeling well. She had called her daughter to tell her that she was so sick, she was not going to be going to church the next day. So her daughter's like, okay, mom, you know, like, get some rest. We'll talk Feel to you in the morning. Soon. Dorothy's murder caused a massive breakdown in the Holden family dynamic. No, duh. Brenda and Diana didn't, they didn't believe their brother. They would, would you believe they your did brother? not? And I went to like Claire, they did. No, I, now I wouldn't believe mine either. I do agree. I do not think that they thought he killed their mom, but they could not understand why he would give this man a ride. They couldn't understand it was almost like they're like, this is lining up too perfect. There's some sketchy shit going on and we're not we're not vibing with it. Yeah, like your gut instinct is telling you you're lying about something. I don't know what it is, but I don't believe mm-hmm. you. The tension was further cemented when FBI profilers, which we know I love FBI <laughs> profilers, 
They came in and they concluded that Dorothy was murdered by someone that she knew. Profilers actually volunteered their services after hearing about the case from a Delaware State Police detective while that detective was at training at the FBI Academy. Mark Safarik of the Behavioral Science Unit said, quote, Some stranger did not break into the house, murder her, and leave. This is someone who knows the victim, knows her well, and knows that they can come here and she will be the only victim in the house. Also, didn't you they say it was like frenzied? It, it, I don't know. Normally when we hear frenzied, it's always like a rage thing. It's like you've made yes. someone angry and they are taking it out. You know, it's so rare. Mm-hmm. It's, not, and it's not often that it's random frenzy. Exactly. Exactly. They agreed with the Delaware State Police that the murderer entered through the back door Dorothy always slept with her doors locked. Safarik noted that it was a 148-year-old house. Everything creaked. Even when you walked up the stairs, the railings would creak. He went on to say that Dorothy seemed like she never got up to investigate the sound, not even the broken glass, and that she did not perceive the offender to be a threat. Safarik said that her murder was premeditated, someone close to her. The murderer was familiar with the layout of the house. He believed that after the murder, they staged it to look like a break-in to throw the cops off. He thought that the person who committed this murder was on drugs due to the frenzied nature of it. He did not doubt that the hitchhiker wasn't real. He just said that he didn't believe that this was their guy because the use of a knife was so up close and personal. And when they found her, she was laying on her like stomach. So he was like, well, maybe they're... Like, she was face down, so they're like, maybe they were trying to position her to look as if she had been sexually assaulted. And he thought that all of this was done to deflect the idea and shift the focus to this elusive stranger. And the only person saying that it's a stranger is her son. Exactly. Okay. So armed with the new profile, the Delaware State Police went back to the original investigation. Because I should add, this is like 10 years later. Oh, yeah, you should add that. (laughs) I know. I did that on purpose. Did that on purpose, guys. (laughs) So they go back and they start to look at the case with fresh eyes. By this time, the Delaware State Police had access to CODIS, which we all know and love. Quick digression if you're new here. CODIS stands for the Combined DNA Index System. It is a computer software program that state, local, federal agencies, they take DNA of like convicted offenders, unsolved crimes, missing persons, and it's like a database for all of that. So you can run DNA samples against the samples that are in this database. We love it. It, It's like forensic science and technology like had this wonderful computer baby and it's a giant database (laughs) and it's they have they've solved data like i love it it's like some of the cases are like 40 50 years old that it's helped sell like helped solve um as of 2021 codis had received 13,531 hits that had resulted in 199 convictions and 189 convictions and 795 guilty pleas so snaps for codis Snap, 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 snaps. But I digress. During the time that Dorothy's case sat cold, it was featured on Unsolved Mysteries several times. It was on Forensic Files, 
state and local newspapers would run articles about it. Unfortunately, when cold cases are entered into CODIS and the DNA as like the DNA from the bloody palm print, well, the the DNA from the blood samples that were found at the house, they were, but that wasn't classified as highest priority. So Mm -hmm. it took over a year for it to be ran through the system. Dang. But as all of this is happening, 41-year-old Gilbert Cannon's DNA was swabbed as part of the Maryland statute that required DNA samples to be taken from sex offenders and felons before they were released from prison or while they were in prison. And at this time, he was serving a 12-year sentence for murder. And what happened was in May of 2004, the prison staff took his DNA and his blood samples because of that law, because he was getting ready to be released in September of 2004 for good time served after only serving seven years for a freaking murder charge. Who did he murder? Who was he in jail for murdering? We'll say that. I could not find any information on that outside that he was arrested, like he was charged with murder. So. I'm assuming it was not like first degree murder because I don't think 12 years for first degree, but you know, we've been like some shits. We, you know, we've seen some things. <laughs> the justice Podcast. system is a messy place. It's not always fair or there's not always justice seen. We'll say that. That's fair. Okay. Go on. I stand by. I do not think you should get out early if you have been charged with murder. Like there there should not, like I feel like you should have to serve your entire sentence that it's not like a, oh, you know what? You served half. Have a good day. You know, I don't necessarily agree with that. I don't necessarily agree with that. It's just like it's case pending, you know? There are certain instances where it's messy and you might get, I don't know. It depends on whether or not things are actually just, accidents yeah. or... Yeah, yeah, I get that. Yeah. It's it's the same Sorry. reason I don't yeah, believe like in the death penalty. Stuff. Yeah, it's I don't believe in the death penalty because it's not like uh, it's not all equal. Everything's going to have different stuff. You're going to have to see have different evidence. Stuff could have happened. I'm not saying that murder is right, which is another reason why I don't believe in the death penalty because I don't believe it is, but it's never going to be like a cut and dry black and white thing. And I think, like, this is, I think, when we discuss, like, cases are, because I am pro-death penalty in certain situations. I believe that if it's a child is involved, see ya. These, like, serial killers, see ya. But I do. I'm not sad if those guys go down. Like, if people like that get the death penalty and they go down for, like, killing kids, I'm just like, well, bummer. Sucks for, sucks for you. You deserved it, but that doesn't it doesn't necessarily mean I'm going to change my whole stance based on that one person, I guess. Yeah, and it is, like, it is messy, and it's not cut and dry, and there's been mistakes, and it's like, it is not a perfect system, and that is unfortunately where we are in 2023. But so this guy is getting out on good time served, but he had a rap sheet that was like a mile long that started all the way back in like 1981. There was burglary, ju- drug charges, assault, resisting arrest. The murder charge, two prison escapes. And they're like, you know what? You've been good here, man. This one <laughs> Two prison out. escapes. They're letting him escape this time. They're like, see ya. So September of 2004, he gets released under the conditions that he has to report to his parole officer. But do we think he maintained that? No. Of course not. And by, <laughs> and by November of 2005, he failed to report and a warrant was issued for his arrest. But by this point, Maryland had inserted 
Maryland was actually, they got the hit first with, because they're the ones that had his DNA, right? So Mm -hmm. they submitted it. They got the hit first and they were like, hey, what's up, Delaware State Police? We have something for you. (laughs) Hey, buds. But by the time this happened, he was in the wind. So even though they had the information, no one knew where he was. And it was awful because it's like they know who was responsible or at least involved in this horrific murder. But like, where the hell is he? Because he's hiding because he knows he has a warrant out for his arrest for failure to report. Absolutely. It took two and a half months for them to locate him at a girlfriend's house only 40 miles from where Dorothy was murdered. Oh, but this is still like a decade later. More than that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm, Interesting. years. On January 18th, 2006, Gilbert Cannon was arrested and charged with first-degree murder, possession of a deadly weapon during the commission of a felony, and first-degree burglary. They were able to match his palm print to the bloody one that was left behind at Dorothy's house on the banister. And I'm going to post the sketch of what this guy versus like what this guy actually looks like because holy shit, Charles Holden gave a perfect description of this man. It is almost uncanny how accurate this sketch is. It is creepy almost. Same glasses and everything? He didn't have glasses at the, like during when he was arrested, but uh-huh. his, you could still tell. Like it's insane. Oh my goodness. Okay. I definitely want to see. But even when presented with the DNA match and the palm print, because they had they ran his DNA and they're like, ding, 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 here you go, from CODIS, Cannon fiercely denied that he had anything to do with what happened to Dorothy. But time in the jail could do some things to you. And after a few hours, he knocked a few hours, not a few days. He like lasted literally a few hours to jail. And like, <laughs> it's like I didn't do nothing. Man, it's been a long time in here. <laughs> <laughs> I can't do this anymore. So he knocked on his holding cell's window and told the investigators, hey, I would like to talk to you. And what he said next completely floored the entire department. And I hate to say this because you know how FBI profilers get me hot and bothered. (laughs) It is like I'm here for it. But the only part of the profile that they had right was that he was high on drugs at the time. What drugs did they say? He said that he had been high on cocaine the night of the murder, and he was just looking for somewhere to sleep it off when he broke into Dorothy's property. Cannon told hey. investigators that that he then started walking down the Killen Pond Road. He passed a few houses, but they all had their lights on. He was looking for a place to sleep, so he stopped at the first house that looked empty, which was Dorothy's. When he broke through the back door, he woke her up. Fearing that she could identify him, he grabbed her by the mouth and pushed her back on the bed. He attacked her and stabbed her with the screwdriver he took from Charles's truck. What? The Cannon screwdriver confirmed. he had taken? Mm-hmm. For, he still had the screwdriver, and then he mm-hmm. killed her, and then he dipped? Yeah, because this is only, there's only a 30-minute difference from the time, because like he, he met with Charles Holden around 1230, 1245, and by they estimated her time at death around 1 a.m. Okay. I thought it was three. So this was quick. Oh, it was no, three when he was poli- talking to office. police. Yep. Okay. Okay, I'm linking it back up. 
So 1230, Mm -hmm. he gave this guy a ride and then drove around. And while he was driving around, that guy found his mom's house just by like happenstance. Yeah. So after they had their scuffle and like Charles took off and left him like hanging in the road, he just went down the first road, which was the road that Dorothy and Charles lived on. And some of the houses had their lights on. And I'm assuming that maybe because Charles is his trailer was behind the like behind um, Dorothy's house. So he gets to Dorothy's house first. There were no lights on. He breaks through the back door thinking that no one was going to be home, but it woke her up. And that's what happened. He confirmed that it was just a coincidence that he chose Dorothy's house. Oh, man. Worst lottery ticket ever. Yeah, he did not know that he did not know her. He did not know Charles. And he did not know that Charles, it was, he did not know it was Charles's mom until a detective was like, well, why did you murder the man from the truck's mom? And he was like, what? What are you talking about? That was his mom? Yeah, he had no idea. He had no idea. It was all just a horrible, awful coincidence. You know, Charles really lucked out in a sense that like he could have went to jail for a very long time if like those investigators were being lazy if they just wanted to like open and shut a case and get it done with like Mm -hmm. he they he absolutely could have gone to jail for that and he's very fortunate that he did not be just because of this like freak accident i guess that's why you know that it doesn't freak accidents prevent that from happening Uh, That's weird. But honestly, I kind of feel like his reality that he lived in was worse. Like his sisters, he hadn't talked to his sisters in like seven years. They had not spoken to him. He had not seen like his nieces and nephews. Um, Because like I said, I don't think they thought he murdered her, but they thought they they weren't buying his full story. And then he, they were like, your fight with this man, like, why did you take him in the first place? Or why didn't you take him where he said he needed to go? This fight is he knew where you lived. He followed you. They like were like almost like if you would not have fought with this man, then he would not have killed our mom. But that's not necessarily true. I mean, yes, he did get him closer to the place they were, but uh, I get there. I get it, but it's not his fault. He would. No, but I mean, think about it like this. Think you get into an uh, altercation with some fucking stranger And then that same night, your mom gets killed. And you're like, and then you pull up and you see him at the house. So you're like, this hitchhiker killed my mom. And he had said that to investigators from the beginning. I can't believe I got into a fight with this man. And then he killed my mom. He was, and they were like, no, that's not what happened. That is not what happened. But it is. But it was what happened. He had just, and Charles Holden said, like, he had lived with the guilt thinking like him fighting this man was the reason he saw after his bomb and it wasn't true it was just the worst coincidence that could happen i what vindication that guy must feel now too just like see i was right oh and he son of a gun almost immediately almost immediately he started having like his sisters were like uh sorry if that was my brother and that had happened i would apologize but i would not feel bad for that choice because they were just making a choice in what you know they were just trusting what they thought what i thought from the time you started this story i was like this is gonna loop around and it's gonna be him or he's gonna have paid someone but the fact that it was just totally you know it's one of those 
teeny, minuscule, weird shots in the universe that that happened to them. But if I was his sisters, I would have just been like, yeah, we are sorry, but I wouldn't have made the decision differently. You know, I still would have done that. Hindsight's twenty twenty. Yeah, and I, I'm the same way. Like, I would have, I would have, from, like, if it were my brother, and he tells me, yeah, I picked up this hitchhiker. I took him a few miles down the road. I I dropped him off before I was getting ready to like go turn down our road and like a scuffle ensued. And so I drove, you know, I would have my, the way my brain works, I would have been like, if you would not have fought that man, or if you would not have picked up that man, our mom would still be here. And that I is, understand, but that's also not fair. I know, but that is 100% how I would have. That's a human reaction. That's to know and knowing that, like, all if I would feel like a huge flaming pile of shit if they were like, oh no, it was just a coincidence. It really was a coincidence. Yeah, yeah, no, I'm sure they feel like shit. But I mean, again, I I understand why they felt the way they did. He thought that, so it wasn't like it was just the sisters. He thought up until that very moment that. His fight with that man is why he went to his house. And he couldn't explain it. He didn't know what had happened, but he thought somehow that man had followed him and got there. And all he kept saying was, how did he get here so quick? He was like, how did he get here so quick? But it was because as soon as he like drove off, the guy just was like, all right, this road will do. I'm going to turn down it. And people like high out of their minds, they do not think logically. Like, you know, and- Obviously, this guy isn't like some frat boy doing coke in the bathroom. He had some deeper issues going on. Yeah. Yeah. You ain't kidding. Uh, You stab a lady in a frenzy and then dip. (laughs) Yeah, you got some some stuff happening up in there. Um, Wow, that that was twisty turny. So then what happened? Keep going. Well, they, Deputy Attorney General... Marie O'Connor Graham, she was like, yeah, I'm going to pursue this as a capital case and we are going to sentence your ass to death. But he was like, uh, no, let me plead guilty and I'll serve life in prison. So that's what he's doing. And in 2007, he was sentenced and he is still at the Delaware Department of Corrections. For this wonky murder. Wow. That is wild. Mm -hmm. That's wild. Mm -hmm. I... It's actually funny that the profilers got it wrong because I thought about this case. I have been re-watching Criminal Minds. I think we talked about that before just while I work just because it's like I already have watched all of them, but I can just like it's background noise. Yeah, I know you and told me. I don't know if we talked about the, it on the episode, though. Uh, the case was a man had served like 20 years in prison because he was the like he, they had they had charged him with killing his wife and his daughter, but he did it. And like his story was right the whole time that people broke in and this and that. And I was like, oh yeah, let me look up some cases where that happened. And then I was like, oh shit, man, this one's fucking wild. That is wild. Did you, were there a lot or was this like kind of a one-off kind of thing? Nah, man, deep dive into those Reddit threads because they got some (laughs) shit on there. I know. I feel everyone's got a story too. Similar. Everyone. We get a lot of emails from people just being like, "This is like you'll never believe this," and then just a book of the craziest shit you've ever heard in your life. And you're just like, "How? How is this happening to so many people constantly?" Yeah, and I, 
they prove the like I've read profiles where it's like down to like the person having a stutter, what they would look like, this and that. And I'm like, dang, y'all are like really locked in. But I was like, how could you get it this wrong? Like this yeah, is the is most wrong. Crazy. I do want to see that picture you said comparing yeah, like how wild. he looked to what he described. Yeah, I'll, I'll post both. Post it up. Post it. Um, well, <laughs> that was the case. That was the murder of Dorothy <laughs> Donovan. Um, I went Meg and saw Adam just, Sandler the other night. That's what I was going to say. Meg just went to see Adam Sandler. Uh, so something that stuck out. It was funny. It was very funny. Uh, it's day night. We went and saw Adam Sandler. It was a Wednesday night, and it was uh, in, I always want to call it Conseco Fieldhouse, but it's Gainbridge, so it's like the big, it's like where the Pacers play in Indy. Yeah, It was packed. Yeah, yeah. All the way to the top um, on a Wednesday night, and it was very funny. I was, like, dying laughing, but he made this joke about how he asks his daughter to go get a Diet Coke for him, and she's like, I can't. I'm scared. And, or like, she'll be like, will you come with me? I'm scared to go down there. And I'm, my kids do that every single day. I'm like, hey, can you do this? Mm -hmm. I'm scared. I'm too scared to do that. And I'm just like, what? Scared of what? You're in your home and your parents here and it's daylight. What are you scared of? I, and I understand. I'm scared of tasks. (laughs) and it happened today i was uh i was making cupcakes with my daughters and some sprinkles fell on the floor i was like oh we gotta clean that up and so the little one went and got the broom and then she just dropped it on the floor and i was like hey you need to go pick that broom up and put it back where you got it out of and she was like i'm too scared to pick it up she's five i was like what that is not that's not how this works baby you're not too scared to pick up a broom. <laughs> like, no, because they would dead ass lift up a couch to find the remote. <laughs> <laughs> For real. Their iPads gone. Beds will be flipped. <laughs> it's true. Whoa. I was just, it was, uh, I just, I laughed really hard at that joke because I was like, yeah, my kids are constantly telling me they're too scared to go do stuff. And and I'm yeah. And I ask, I'm not so heartless that I'm not like, you're not scared of shit. Go find it. I'm like, well, what do you feel like you're scared of? What's happened? Like, what? Like, I'm trying to find that missing link, and I don't know what it is. But apparently, it's happening everywhere. Everybody's kids. Let us know if your kids are scared to go do normal human things. As an excuse, not like genuine. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, if they're really scared, that's one thing. Like, if it's dark and it's on the other side of the house or if they're like, because I have a bathroom on one side of my house and the other side of my house. So if we're in one side and someone's in that bathroom, I'm like, just go use the other one. They're like, I don't want to go over there. I'm scared. I kind of get that because they're little, but yeah, also I, I, it's also, I don't know. You're in your house, you know, doors are locked. You know, nothing's happening. It's, but if they're using it for random stuff, like I can't pick up the broom in the middle of the kitchen because I'm too scared. <laughs> or maybe there's um, some child psychologist that can tell me what I'm doing wrong as a parent. That would be fine too. I'm open to either my of those. Daughters, my daughter's is, I'm just, I'm, I'm not big enough for that. And I'm like, girl. <laughs> oh man, I know. Cause mine and Connie's daughters are six days apart and they're five. And so I'm like, okay, five is a big girl. I know it's not a big girl. I know it's still like, they're still little, but 
like some five-year-old stuff. I'm like, you are old enough to be able to do that now. And she's like, "Mm -mm, no, I'm a baby. Like, you're not a baby. Yep. Like sleep in your fucking bed. That's where we're at right now. I'm like, girl. (laughs) I put my kid back in her bed like three times a night. It's we I'm and like we, I bought the new bed. I got the bluey <laughs> sheets. Get the fuck out of my bed. <laughs> I got the bluey sheets you wanted. Go sleep with bluey. Ugh. You got and the then, stuffy. You got the comforter. And then you see those random like Instagram reels or things that make you feel bad where they're like, you know, I let them sleep with me and then they were a teenager and they came in and laid with me and told me about their problems and I'm just like, ah. Quit making me feel guilty for not wanting her in my room. But I do. Dude, feel my like... daughter's a ninja. She will pull me into she'll pull me into that bed. I'll lay with her and then I'll fall asleep and she'll fucking dip out and go sleep in my bed with my husband. <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of awesome. I wouldn't even care. I would just buy her a your size bed and then be like, sweet, this is my <laughs> new bed now with my big girl bluey sheets. See you later. Hey, just slowly turn her room into your bedroom. You're like, this is my bedroom. Dude, don't tempt me with a good time because there <laughs> is nothing I am looking forward to more than when my kids, like, there won't be an is- empty nester for me. When those kids move <laughs> out, I'm getting my own bedroom. <laughs> it's going to be mine. I, I love having like my kids around and I love them being little and I love enjoying them as children. I think kids are super fun and uh, they make me laugh every day. But the idea of having your very own, I understand that feeling very well of being like, this is my space where I do things. Gotta help. I am gonna, but like there are times where I'm like, oh, look, cause like she will sometimes go to her sleep in her bed by herself. And then I'm like, oh my God, I kind of miss you. And then I have like a kink in my neck and I'm like, that's why I don't. It, it is. And it's almost like if they don't like if um, if I get through the whole night and she hasn't come into my room one time, I think something's wrong. I'm like, <gasps> she's mm-hmm. dead. <laughs> Something has yep, happened. Immediately they're dead. We're gone. They're <laughs> because dead or gone. for five years, every night I've seen her little face come in my room and I carry her back to her bed. But for five years so and occasionally I'll get I'll go to bed at like you know 11 ish and then I'll wake up at 7 a.m and I've had a full night I'm like well rested I'm like what happened what's wrong something's wrong something's happened yeah I Uh, I, um (laughs) I uh (laughs) I was just thinking about when uh my boys like they didn't they weren't like as clingy like Mm -hmm. as my daughter is and I know that I have made her that way. I breastfed her too long. I like coddled her because I knew she was the last. Because she's the baby, like, yeah. The whole, the whole thing. And then I think to myself sometimes when she's laying there, and she just says, "I want snugs. Can we snug?" And I'm like, "Oh God, yeah." Okay. Of and then I realize just now I am the problem. It's no. me. Parenting it's and being a parent is a complicated thing. You there those feeling like. You can feel like you want to have your baby forever and also that you want your baby to get off of you. You you can have both of those feelings at the same time. It's normal. I'm confident that it's normal. And if it's not, I'm going to keep telling myself it is. Nobody nobody tell me any different. (laughs) 
And if you do tell us, we're not going to listen. (laughs) (laughs) Hands over my ears. Mm -mm, Not today. Because you're right. Like there's, I love cuddling my kids, but also I sometimes do not want them to touch me in any way, shape or form. Yeah. Like I'd rather burn this house down than be touched by anyone. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my goodness. Parenting is fun. It's a good time, guys. Mm. Give it a whirl. It's fun. Hell yeah. Hell I yeah. think that's a good place to roll out. All right. We'll talk to you guys next week. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to Gruesome Horrific True Crime. We love you, beautiful strangers. And if you love us too, here are some ways that you can support Gruesome. Please leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcast or a five-star rating on Spotify. This helps other true crime connoisseurs find us. Follow us at Gruesome Podcasts on Instagram or TikTok and talk to us on our posts. Join the Patreon. Sign up to join our True Crime Sticker of the Month Club and gain access to bonus episodes and exclusive Patreon perks. Or if a one-time donation is more your thing, we have a Venmo at Gruesome Podcast and a PayPal via our email, gruesomepodcast at gmail.com. Speaking of which, we love hearing from you. It seriously makes our whole life. So send us your questions, comments, suggestions, or just ask our opinion on whether that person you met on Tinder is a serial killer or not. Tune in next week and don't forget, lock your windows, lock your doors, and on Wednesdays, we're we're gruesome. gruesome. Bye. Bye. (laughs) Bye.